All right, Scott, you did it, man. You put me behind the eight ball, buddy. That was good. Really good word. Thank you. Um, I have my glasses on today because my contacts just weren't cutting it. So I can see this really good, but I can't see you at all. <laughs> you are really blurry in these glasses. Now I can see a little bit, but I don't really want to be like this. So I'm going to be like this, and I'm just going to assume you're still there. And if, if you say amen every once in a while, then I know you're just not something sitting in a chair, all right? So help me out. Uh, we've been talking about, for the month of July, didn't really plan it this way, but it's just working out that this is a message on freedom. The month of July is 4th of July, which is the birth date of our country, and, and it's a natural thing to talk about freedom. And so we talked two weeks ago about freedom from bondages, how we allow ourselves to get bound up, like we talked about today, those walls that come about our life and just surround us and bind us up and make us totally ineffective, and how we, how we just have to uh, become free and to let the Holy Spirit free us. And in that sermon, we had a little skit with the youth here up with us and showing us how they get bound up and how the devil binds them and how Jesus frees them. And, and there's a cycle that, that you either stay free by staying active, by being prayerful, by being involved, by, by getting out and working um, and staying free, or you can be a person that gets free for a little bit and then sits back down and gets bound up again. And quite often we bind ourselves up. The devil doesn't even have to do it. We do it ourselves. And that person was tying their own feet and binding themselves up by our own habits and by our own addictions and by our own uh, life-controlling issues. And then there was the person in the middle that didn't do anything, was totally free, unbound, but sat there and did absolutely nothing. That person will receive nothing from God, will do nothing for God, may or may not even make it into heaven. We don't know. I'm not the judge. All I know is that we're called to work. We're called to be effective. We're called to be relevant in our community and to work. And that middle person didn't do anything. And he wasn't bothered, by the way, either. He could have been very rich. He could have been those people that we see in life that go through life without a problem, have all the wealth in the world, and have no problems because they're not a threat to the kingdom. The enemy only attacks those that are working. If he's, if he's already won, if he's got you in a position where you're either not effective for the kingdom or maybe not even going to the kingdom, why would he want to bother you? Why would he want to keep that sleep, kick that sleeping dog? Right, Jeannie? Where's Jeannie? Oh, there she is. Why would she want to kick that dog? He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't want to kick that sleeping dog. So therefore, he'll let him go. But that person, though, may be on the road to destruction. You choose. Okay? Then, yes, last week we talked about how we have to live in our freedoms. And we had a, we had a maze that we put up. And I don't know if we have. Oh, we do. We have, we have a maze. And, and this is our life. It kind of looks like a brain. But in reality, it's, it's our life, and it, and it begins at the top left, and, and we enter the maze at the top left, and we have to get out down here someplace, and, and that's our life. Um, kind of complicated. But if we go to the next slide, we see that our life is marked out for us, I hope. There it is. There it is, right there. There is our path. And what, we, what was interesting about this is because we had to realize that a lot of things have to happen here in order for us to get down here. And a lot of things that might make us go backwards or up or down and totally confusing, but yet as we trust God, as we trust Him with our life, He will bring us through our life in a freedom of getting through that maze without us getting all tied up in our undies about it all. 
And that we talked about that last week. So now let's move on to this week. This week we're talking about freedom responsibilities. It's going to get a little harder this week, so I'll tell you right now. The first week was about getting free of our bondages. And that was Christ coming in and freeing us, doing the work for us. Last week we talked about our responsibility to live in it and how we live in it. And understanding that God has a plan and, and his will for our life. And as we seek his will, that uh, his will is accomplished and, and we get through life in a, in a way that is pleasing to him. And also prosperous for us in meeting our every need. This week we're going to talk about responsibilities. Freedom comes with a price. And that price, part of that price is our responsibility to maintain it. Freedom, it was earned for us by someone else for our benefit. We're free as a country because those went ahead and died in a war zone for our freedoms today. So somebody else paid the price for my freedom. Spiritually, Jesus Christ paid the price for my freedom. I didn't free myself. He did. He paid my price. But for us to maintain the price of freedom... We also must pay a price in order for us to pass it on to those that come beyond us or to come after us, our next generation. I have to maintain the price of freedom. Freedom is never free. Doesn't sound right, does it? But it's not. It comes with a constant price, a maintenance price. And if I'm not willing to pay the price to maintain, to maintain the freedom, that I'm at risk of not passing that on to my generation. Or more importantly, I'm at risk of passing on bondage to my next generations. It's not just about me or about you. It's about who comes after you and who do you impact in this life. Because we're not on an island. We are in a society that we live together and we, we manipulate and we work and we get around this life together. So uh, what we do is very important. So how do we do this? What does it mean to maintain the price of freedom so that we can pass on that life of freedom? And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. That we have to live a life of responsibility and accountability in our freedom. Freedom does not mean that we can abuse our rights and, our, and choose to live a life in whatever lifestyle we want to. And unfortunately, I believe it's a, com a common misconception among Christians today that we have rights to live in freedom from the legalism of do's and don'ts. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about the progression of what happens there. But when we feel that we can read the New Testament and say we are free from the, law of the, the, the bondage of the law and that we are living in an area of grace, that is true. But if I abuse that or if I take it to the extreme, that's not what it's talking about. We're not living in it rightly. We're abusing the situation. And in, and in so doing, we're going to become a bound. We're going to bind ourselves up again or worse or worse. So understand that what we're going to talk about today may be a little bit hard. But understand that it is for our benefit. God does not bring us rules and, and commands for our, for our, our, our negative or our, for our detriment. He, he brings them to us for our benefit. You as a parent have rules in your household for your kids. You love those kids, I'm assuming. And if you love those kids, you have rules. 
And it's not to hurt them. It's for their benefit. Because we, as parents, have been through it before. And we kind of know a little bit more than kids. Whether they realize it or not. I got an amen back there. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) You know what's amazing? The older your kids get, the smarter you get. You see, the older I get, man, I knew my, my, the older, the older they get, the smarter I get. In their minds, at least. So, anyway, so we're going to talk today about some things about how, how we had some do's and don'ts of the past. Because if you're like me, growing up in a church, growing up in the Assemblies of God Church as a kid, and this is in no way or shape or form negative to my parents or to that generation. So I don't want, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad here. But when I grew up, when people asked me what I believed in, I, say, I, I said, I don't go to movies, I don't go to dances, I, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't go with girls that do. Well, I did, but no, not really. But um, that slipped out. Um, but when they asked me what I believed, that's what I said I believed. And it wasn't that my parents weren't trying to teach me or my grandparents weren't. I just don't think I was listening, right? But I think, though, to some degree, that whole generation was living that way. And so we grew up in a world of don'ts. Now we're, we're, we're finding that we're going to almost to the extreme of the opposites in that we do so much. We're compromising our lifestyle so much that we're losing the call to holiness in so many ways. Those don'ts weren't there to make me an unhappy child. They were intended to protect me from myself. Let's give some examples. Yesterday, we couldn't go to movies. It was a sinful thing to go to a movie. Today, I go to movies without guilt. I don't have a problem with going to movies today. But let's talk about a progression of what might and could and does happen. See, we we went from a position of not doing something to, okay, I'm going to go to a movie. And the, the first ones I went to, I was very guilty. I thought the Lord was coming back. And it was the rapture was going to happen. And I was in fourth grade at a Halloween movie, dressed up like an Indian, watching a Disney movie at the cinema downtown. And I was scared to death the whole time because I thought for sure the devil or the, uh, Jesus was going to come back and I'm going to be left sitting in the theater with my, with my costume on. And it, I didn't even enjoy the movie. It was terrible. And I've heard that from other people as well, other, other people that say the same experiences. But what happens there is that I learned the progression of going to a movie for that movie was nothing wrong with that. But the progression gets progressively worse because now I go to that movie. Once I, once I sear my conscience, because that's exactly what I did, I seared my conscience to that, that I could go to a movie. Then I would go to uh, a little uh, movie with a little bit more violence in it or maybe some bad language in it or maybe some nudity in it. So all of a sudden I'm going to R-rated movies. And... I'm thinking, oh, that's just the movie. I'm just going to it, and it's happening on TV. And then there's, you know, with the age of the Internet, guess what? I don't have to wait for the theater to come anymore. 
I can get on the Internet 24-7 and get on websites that have a lot of bad stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm searching the Internet for pornography. And I'm caught in it all of a sudden, and I become addicted in it. We had men's uh, prayer breakfast yesterday, and Steve Guthrie, a local uh, um, um, counselor, was there talking about some of the stuff. And, you know, some of these addictions, they're not just addiction of my will anymore. They're actually a chemical change happens in my mind where I have chemical releases of endorphins and, and adrenalines and things. And, and it's actually a chemical release in my mind so that these addictions become real physical chemical addictions. And only starting because I allowed that first thing to come into my eye that I never should have allowed in the first place. And, that taught, that, and we're told about that in Luke chapter 11. Verses 34 through 36, it says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then, I have some responsibility in this. See to it then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. So when I compromise what I see, I am bringing darkness into my life. And now I have to deal with that. I have the consequence of that. So the progression of that goes from an innocent movie to a little bit worse, to a little bit worse, subtly worse and worse and worse. And finally, I get on the Internet, and if I have that ability, I'm addicted. You don't believe me, do you? Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. You give him a sliver, and he'll take a whole lot more. You split a log with a wedge just by putting a little bit in first and hitting it a few times. It's not the first time it's going to hit. It's not going to split the first time. It's going to take a few hits of that wedge, and you're driving that wedge into that wood, into that log, and before long, you're going to split the log. Do not give the devil a foothold. I have some statistics on Internet pornography. As of 2003, there were, thir- were 1.3 million pornographic websites, 260 million pages. The total porn industry revenue for 2006 was $13.3 billion in the United States, $97 billion worldwide. The U.S. adult DVD video rentals in 2005, almost 1 billion videos were rented. More than 70% of men from ages 18 to 34 visit a pornographic website on a typical, in, in a typical month. 70% of men 18 to 34, I'm 51, so it doesn't include me. <laughs> no. But it does include me later. Hang on. Not to say I'm doing it, but it, I just want you to know that I'm fair about all this. 18 to 34 men, 70% of them are visiting pornographic websites in a typical month. In a 2003 meeting of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, two-thirds of the 350 divorce lawyers who attended said the Internet played a significant role in the divorces in the past year. With excessive Internet interest online, porn contributing to more than half of all such cases. It's getting worse and worse and worse. 1996 Promise Keeper survey at one other stadium events revealed that over 50% of the men in attendance were involved in pornography within within one week of attending the event. Here's where it hurts. 51% of pastors say cyberborn porn is a possible temptation. 37% say it is a current struggle. That's at a Christianity Today leadership survey in 2001. It goes on and on and on. Nine out of ten children ages between eight 
and 16 have viewed pornography on the Internet. Largest consumer of Internet pornography ages 12 to 17-year-olds. Never before in the history of telecommunications in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. And the list goes on and on and on. The point is, it all started with a compromise of what we see. I am not saying that we don't go to movies. All right? Hear me. Hear me. What I'm trying to understand or what I'm trying to get across is the progression of how sin works in our life. Let's get another example. Gambling. It was wrong to play with cards. It was wrong to play with cards. Today, we play all kinds of card games with little to no restraint. Restraint. To the, to the point of getting addicted to gambling. It started off very much like the progression of movies and the Internet so forth. It be, with cards, it began with, as Rook. We wouldn't play with, the, with the, those evil gambling cards. We played with Rook. And then we went to Euchre, which was using those evil cards. And then from Euchre, it goes to uh, poker. And then poker was um, for toothpicks then nickels, and then blackjack came along, and now we're talking about dollars. And then all of a sudden, it's not enough to play at home with the boys. We have to go to the casino. And all of a sudden, again, there's that chemical addiction that hits me, and I'm hooked. All because I allowed the first time to happen. I have a lot of research on that as well. We don't have a lot of time from that. I wish I did, but Scott took it all. <laughs> oh, I'd love to get Scott but I know that he's going to get me when I go speeding down the road someday. Let me just say, though, let me just, there's a couple things that I've got to pick it out here. Um, research from the Harvard School of Public Health and Annenberg Public Policy Center indicates that there's a nearly 600% increase in gambling in post-secondary institutions between 2001 and 2005. A 600% increase in gambling in colleges hitting that generation, that younger generation. Starts off innocently. It grows into a bet that constitutes money. And before long, it's, uh, it's, it's got a stake in people's lives. Gambling has been glamorized and popularized with the World Series of Poker being televised. Poker is a type of gambling that has experienced the greatest increase in the 21st century. It goes on and on. As a result of teen gambling, there are more teens with debt that they cannot hope to pay back and linked to stealing and lying. Gambling is an addiction, and gamblers may spend more and more time on that activity and less on schoolwork and relationships with family and friends. Gambling is linked to other behaviors and factors such as poor academic performance, less well-educated parents, alcohol and drug abuse, and binge drinking. It goes on and on. There was a bunch of statistics from Minnesota, and I really don't have time to go there, but I hope you get the point of what's happening when we start compromising with some things in life. We have this, the moment you compromise is when you have the responsibility to deal with it correctly. Let me talk about one right now that is probably the most debated one and the most, probably the one that's going to get me into trouble, and that's drinking. We have a lot of drinking going on in the church. I know that. I see it. Mm, I'm going to get in trouble. But, it, but I want to talk about the progression from not drinking to there's nothing wrong with drinking 
to thinking that I can drink responsibly and it doesn't hurt me. A casual social, social drinker seems to be a very non-threatening thing to do. I can go have a beer. And you're right. You can have a beer. And that beer is not going to send you to hell. I don't care what Grandma Way said. <laughs> that beer is not going to send me to hell, Grandma. But you know what? I don't know where it's going to lead me, though, either. I don't know where it's going to lead me. Because all of a sudden, that one beer, the party's long, I have to have a drink in my hand, I drink the first beer, and now I have to have a second beer. Because I have to have something in my hand. That's just a social thing to do. I can't go through a party and I have something in my hand. I know. I've been to them. So I have to have another beer. And before long, maybe I've had two or three or four beers, and I'm a little bit tipsy. Now I get in my car, and I drive home. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to get in an accident. But if you did, what would happen? Think of the consequences of what would happen. Think of the consequences of what happens legally for that moment forever. What happens, Scott, when, when you have DOI, D, was it DUIs? Dwight, drinking while under the influence? DUIs? It sticks with you a long time. And hopefully there's nothing serious that happens with an accident. Okay, so you get, so you get through that time. Okay, now it becomes a, a more of a more thing I have to do on a more repeated basis. You know what, people? There are more statistics with alcoholism than anything else. And they call alcoholism a disease. I don't agree with that. Cancer is a disease. Alcoholism is a choice. And it happened because I took my first drink. I didn't have to have that drink. Therefore, I don't have to expose myself to that potential disease. If I would have just said no from the beginning, then I wouldn't have that. I can't say no to cancer. There are so many things in our lives that we can't control that, that we have to deal with. But the things that we can control and we choose to go down that path, it doesn't make any sense. Logically, it doesn't make any sense. If I would just learn to say no, my, it simplifies my life so, so significantly. The moment I say, yes, I'll do it this time, then am I going to do it the next time? And to what level am I going to do it? And how far am I going to do it? If it's sex, if it's beer, if it's drinking, if it's going to movies, I don't care what it is. See, the whole point of this is the progression of sin is subtle. It doesn't hit you all at once. You don't become an alcoholic with the first drink. You don't have an affair with the first time you look at a piece of pornography. It happens over time. Subtly, it, it, it sneaks into your, into your system. And before long, guess what? You're holding on to a cobra. And, he's, and his fangs are bared, and it's right on your neck. And now you have to deal with that. And I haven't even got to the Bible. The statistics are boggling about alcoholism. Just absolutely terrible. And, uh, and I, I wish we had time to go there, but I'm not going to go there. I just don't have time. But, but there's, there is, as I look back at the examples that we just talked about, about the movies, the gambling, the beer, the alcohol, the drugs. See, I look at these and I think that these can be considered as gateway drugs, gateway activities. 
things that, 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 that don't capture you the first time you do them, but the, you're opening the door to other kinds of sin and, and life-changing and life addictions that you may or may not be able to control later on. That is not living in freedom. When the New Testament talks about living in freedom and living in the area of grace, that's not what it's talking about. That's an abuse of that terminology, freedom. Freedom is living in freedom with Christ. It's living, giving everything you have to Christ. It's living in an area that you have no condemnation because we are new people. We are, re, we are renewed people. And we're not talking about how close can I live to the world and still be close to God. That's not freedom. That's walking on a fence. And when you fall off a fence, it's all painful. So we're not going to go there. Our natural state is death. The natural state of nature is decay. Anything in nature, given time, decays. Look at a tree that falls in the forest. That tree falls in the ground and it, and it, and it rots. And it decays back to where, what it came from, which is dirt. Okay? A pond. A pond naturally fills in over time. And its natural death is, turns into a, a bog and a swamp and eventually into solid ground. Unless it has a stream of fresh water flowing through it. See, something that's stagnated, a Christian life that's stagnated is like that pond. Our natural, our natural man is sin. There's only two people that came into this world without the natural curse of sin, and that's Adam and Jesus. Everybody else comes in here, our natural state is sin. And the only way that we're going to, to, to avoid the death that is bound with sin is if I make a choice, a choose, a choice to change that pattern in my life, and that is through Jesus Christ. But if I don't do anything, my natural, my natural decay is going back to the dust of the earth and to death and sin. So I have to, if I'm going to change, if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to live and, and end up in heaven and not in hell, I can't get through life by just being a good guy. I have to have a choice. I have to live in the freedom that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not living in my bondages of what I think I can do because the Bible says we live in an area of grace. Well, that's, that's an abuse of the grace. And you're going to lose. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and leads through righteousness. In fact, write this down if you're a note taker. This is pretty, pretty good. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and leads to righteousness, while the devil leads through sin and convicts of righteousness. Do you hear the difference there? The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. Convicts me, and that's that thing. That's that thing that makes me want to change. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then after I make that change, he continues to lead me through righteousness. That's the day-to-day -day living. That is living day-to-day-to-day, -to -day, living by doing right living in the, in the sight of God, living a godly, holy life. Whereas the devil, he does just the opposite. He leads me through sin, through that progression we just talked about of sin. And then when I do something right, he convicts me of the righteousness. Understand the enemy is 100% opposite, 180 degrees opposite of what godly living is. Psalms 55.8 says, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before me.
Proverbs 8.20, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. That's Jesus, this God talking about leading us. And then here's, here's an old one, a good one, Psalms 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in peace. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in the paths of right living, righteousness. The devil comes in and says, no, I'll lead you down the site of pornography. I'll lead you down the the path of of, uh, alcoholism, addictions, gambling, addictions. All of those roads go to death. And then when I do something right, when I stake a stand for something right, when I go to that party to change and I don't drink, the devil is there to bring ridicule to me by my friends. And he will bring peer pressure upon me. And he'll say, ah, who do you think you are? Drink like the rest of them. You did before. Why change now? That's the devil convicting you in, of your righteousness. Understand where that comes from. That doesn't come from God. That's from the enemy of your soul. And if you listen to him, like Scott was talking about, if you listen to him, he's going to bring destruction and damnation and all kinds of evil in your life. What do you want? What do you want? What is this price of freedom that, we're, that I was talking about earlier? The price of the freedom is repentance, a broken and contrite heart, free of human pride, obedience, consistent living, and no compromise. Are you willing to pay the price? Repentance, first of all, you have to repent. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 10 says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. That's kind of like, I feel like that way right now. I feel like the words that I'm saying may hurt you. You may get mad at me. You may think, who do you think you are? You can talk to me that way. But see, if you listen and if you apply, they might hurt only for a little while. But then he goes on, he says, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Here's the clincher of it all. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What what a promise. Oh, it's awesome. Okay, a broken and contrite heart. Human pride is the ultimate sin. I'm so prideful, I don't need to hear this. I'm so prideful, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to have that because I can do it myself. You know what that is? That's the pride of Satan. That's why Satan got kicked out of heaven. That's why we're in the world mess we're in right now. It's because Satan had pride in his life. We need to be free of it. And, we need to, and how do we stay free of it? We, need, we stay free of it by having a broken and a contrite heart. Psalm 51, 16, 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Psalms 34, 17, 18. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
You stay free of pride by having a broken, contrite, teachable heart. Obedience. Obedience is much, much better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15:21. But Samuel, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Why do we fight that? Why do we fight obedience? If you, if you know a better way, why don't you go it? Why don't you do it? Why don't I do it? Our human nature. Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's your choice. Do you want to be a slave to God and ultimately his righteousness or the devil and his death? Consistent living. Living responsibly so that we don't hurt or have a negative impact on those around us. Because we do have an impact on those around us. We do not live in a bubble, as Steve talked about last, yesterday morning with the men. We are a social entity. We, we cannot help it. And he used the example of, uh, of, of, of Wilson and, and Tom Hanks in, in the movie Lost. No, which was that movie that he was lost in the island? Castaway. He had to have somebody to talk to. See, he named the volleyball Wilson because it had Wilson on it because Wilson was a manufacturer. And he developed a long-time relationship with Wilson because it's in man to have to have a relationship with other men. So when you live your life, understand that you are not living alone. You are not living unto yourself. You have a responsibility to your fellow man. And you will be held accountable to that responsibility. If you live to them unworthily as to, the, as, uh, to them and you are bringing sin into their life, you are bringing damnation to them and you. Because you do have a responsibility to that. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 13, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if, I, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Now, we're not talking about in our life, in our society, you're talking about meat to idols. Really, what this refers to is a lot of the lewd living we live in. The movies I go to, the, 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 what, if I smoke, if I drink. See, here's the freedom. This is the hard part, people, I'm telling you. You, ha- you are free to drink. But if somebody else isn't free to drink, and if you drink, and if you bring them along with you in that drink, you're sinning against them. And you're causing that person to stumble. And when you do that, you're going to be held accountable to that. Do you want to do that? Think about your kids. Think about what happens if your kids see you drink that wine or that alcohol, that beer. I just don't understand it. It's just not worth it. We have a responsibility to live our lives in front of men as people honoring God and drawing all men to him as a result of our holy living, not living a hypocritical lifestyle causing confusion and all kinds of questions. 
No compromise. A life of freedom is not a life of compromise in the world, meaning that I can live like I want and still expect to have the full blessings of God. Boy, that's a big one. That's a worth a whole sermon right there. And that the Bible is full of ifs. If, I will. If, then. If, then. And you know what? It's the, it's the enemy. It's the world that comes back to us and says, oh, God is a God of love. Well, he is a God of love. The enemy will tell you just enough truth to suck you in. God is a God of love. He would never send me to hell. Well, he wouldn't, but you do. You're sending yourself to hell because you're not choosing his love. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. But I'm just reading the Bible. A life of freedom is not a life of compromise. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by sinful nature cannot please God. Then it goes on in 13 and 14. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Amen. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. To really live a responsible life in freedom, we have to live in what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you. Do you hear, the, do you hear Paul, Peter? I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then he goes on in the 16th verses. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Would you stand with me? Let me ask you, what are you focusing on? What are you keeping your eyes on? Are you focusing on Jesus? Are you striving every day to make a closer walk with him, a closer relationship with him? Or are you, and, are, and are you getting more concerted in your effort in your daily prayer life? Or are you playing the game? of compromise. Playing the game of covering, letting this freedom cover me up. He just told you right then, right there. The most powerful verse probably in this whole message was right there. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Wow. Live as servants of God. you'd close your eyes with me and just examine your heart 
Examine the way you're living. Examine, examine what is motivating you. What's driving you on? What are the things that inspire you to do what you do? Are you living a life of freedom responsibly? Or are you thinking that because of my parents, because of my grandparents, because of my spouse, because of my name, I'm okay. Because I go to this church, I'm okay. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but yet I do want to burst your bubble. Because I want you to say, I want to tell you the truth. And the truth is, it's not going to work. The truth is, you need to have your eyes on Jesus. And you need to stop playing the games that you think you can play and get away with. You know, I really prayed about this message today because I knew I was going to get into somebody's knickers. And I knew that I was going to potentially push people away. And I pray that this message does not push people away. Rather, I pray that it gives conviction in your heart that the Holy Spirit would work, the Holy Spirit would bring conviction to people's lives so that it makes a difference and a positive impact so that you'd make a change, that you would take the first step of responsible freedom, living responsibly, and that is repentance. And say, you know what? I'm a little wrong. Hmm. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. So I'm going to ask you right now, as your eyes are closed, if this is ministering to you, please don't ignore it. For your benefit, please don't ignore it. If the Lord's dealing with you, would you raise your hand? As a sign to the Lord, as a sign to the Lord that you need repentance. I see those hands. That doesn't make you an evil person. That makes you a forgiven person today. It frees you today to do now what you need to do. It frees you now to be the man and the wife and the husband and the child that you need to be, to be the parents you need to be. I'll ask you again one more time. If this is speaking to you, if you feel this in your sight, if there, if there is a bubbling within you, if there is this, this churning within you, it's not me. And it's not because you're hungry. It's because the Holy Spirit is telling you, this is your day. One more time. If this is something that's, that's on your heart, raise your hand, please. We'll just pray for you. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. The Lord sees to see your hand. See that hand. Thank you. But now, as you're honest with yourself, don't let the enemy steal this from you as you walk out this door. You have to take responsibility and maintain this thing. Now, the freedom is yours. You've taken the freedom. Now it's your opportunity, your responsibility to maintain it. And he will give you the strength to do it. Hallelujah. Father, Lord, you saw the hands that were raised. And Lord, I know that this is a crowd that is a, that's pretty much a Christian crowd. But Lord, we still make mistakes. Lord, every day I have to come before you and maintain my freedom by saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me to live a better life. Help me to live a closer life. Help me to be, live a life that's more free. So, Lord, as we recognize who you are today and we, and we thank you for the fact that you've ministered to us and, Holy Spirit, you haven't left us yet because I still feel your presence. 
and that we were obedient and, and, and saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, then Lord, forgive us. Hallelujah. Father, as we go to our homes today, I pray that you would just stay with us, linger with us. Do not let this message leave us, Father. Let the truths follow us, linger with us, teach us, encourage us, live in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, before you go, we're going to sing a song. The altars are open. If you want to come and pray, I'll stay up here and pray with you. Now is the time. If you, if you, if you need to make something right, make it right now. Make it right. Come up, come up and do it today. Don't say, I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next time I pray. This is the day. This is the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a song. You're dismissed to go, but if you want to pray, we'll, we'll, we'll be here to pray with you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.